Jesus sees it coming. Nobody else does. But he sees it coming all the way. He's been calling to shot from the beginning. He's been claiming that he's here to bind the strong man once and for all. He knows that the Son of Man will go as it is written of him, which is that he shall be delivered over to the chief priests and the elders who will hand him over to the nations, that's Rome, and that he will be scourged and flogged and beaten and spit upon and then nailed to a tree until he's dead, dead, dead and all will be scattered who thought he was their leader and messiah and then after three days he will show them that he was and and he will rise and he has called this again all the way along he has challenged the very authorities that claim to be in charge of the temple where this sacrifice is to be made and most recently he has been teaching that that temple will not last that it will be torn down stone upon stone. And no, that won't be the end of the world as his disciples expect. The end of the world will be later, uh, much later as we're in the process of finding out right now. Uh, But the real end of all things was indeed at hand in the true temple, the body of Jesus himself, which again, he he was offering up to God as a final habitation. And that's wherein his resurrection becomes The moment that God is with man again for good and the moment that then God is in you as the supper comes to your mouth, you eat and swallow with uh, with faith the the one who is Christ in the supper. And just like that, God is inhabiting you and you are the temple. You are the one that has been risen from the dead along with with this king, Jesus Christ. All of this he knows so that today, tonight, he knows where you're going still. As we look at these stories of these individuals who, I, some of them, I don't, I don't know who they are, but they're, they're in Jesus' life, so also you. So also your neighbors and friends and extended family. So also many, many people you will never meet in this life, but who are under the same God and trust in the same word and are walking toward the same reality. Jesus knows where you're going. He sees it coming. He has it planned. He's your shepherd you shall not lack along the way. I don't know who Simon the leper was. Normally in a Jewish culture, you don't go to eat at lepers' houses, however. So I'm kind of going to assume Simon the leper isn't a leper anymore. Simon the leper has been healed by Jesus. That's what Jesus has been doing. Now, I'm not sure, uh, but I think that makes sense of the story. And they end up at his house, but then there's a number of other people there who aren't so happy about this this woman and her behavior in front of everyone else. And there's some speculation that's maybe Mary Magdalene. There's similar stories about her and whatnot. But the point of this is, again, here, who, who is this person? In and out she goes. What is her life but a passing dream? She's a bit of wind on the air, and yet, no, not to Jesus, she's not. To Jesus, she was a child in her mother's arms. To Jesus, she was a young woman coming out into society. To Jesus, she's this woman repentant now, desiring to trust in him. And as he says, she's been listening. 
He says, she just anointed me for burial. You think he's making that up? Maybe she knew what she was doing. And he knew she was doing it. She's been hearing him say, I'm going to die. She's like, please, here, then let me wash you before you. What a story. What a, what a person. What a piety. A real human who you will meet someday, probably like Simon, but not anymore a leper. and Certainly not a leper on the day of resurrection. These individuals who this rough and rugged, sometimes a little crazy, sometimes less than gentle Jesus, he moves through their life and he leaves them better. He leaves them filled and well, hopeful. Now Judas is a strange character indeed. He, he doesn't see this. He doesn't like this. There's something wrong. And there's all sorts of history and fiction that's tried to make sense out of the psychology of Judas. I know some of you have I've seen Jesus Christ superstar and what a pitiable poor character Judas is. He's trying so hard. He means so well. And you know what? Maybe, maybe Judas really thought he was doing the right thing the whole time. He talked himself into it. Uh, individuals have done more crazy things under pressure from psychological propaganda and whatnot. So not surprising in one sense, but, but here he is that very night, you know, going to be with them at the meal. So he goes and he speaks to them, but, but he comes to this meal, this final Passover with, with Jesus. And yet before we get to have that happen, there's at least two more characters in the story that you barely get to see. Now, the disciples get sent into town. There's going to be an upper room, the Passover. It's a really nice story. I remember the arch book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what about the guy carrying the water? Who was that guy? And as interesting as he is, I mean, he probably just saw them and somehow, I don't know, how did he know? Follow me. He says it. He gets back to the house. They come in. They find the master, the guy who owns the property, the guy who probably owns the servants who, who went and got the water. And they say to him, the teacher says, his room. <laughs> Where's his room? Are you ready for him? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Of course I'm ready for Jesus to come and eat under my roof. I've been planning this for a while. Now, the, the question in some sense is, how did he know that? Did Jesus send a letter? Right? I, I, don't, I don't think that's probably what happened. I suppose it's possible if you're a materialist to need that kind of an answer. Um, I, but, but one way or the other, this man and his piety, his preparation, is listening to the preaching of the Christ and the crowds as they spoke. He at least had the hope that maybe Jesus would come to his house that night. And then there it is. It, it, it happens. And they're in that, that upper room, fully prepared. Now, Finally, what, what Mark really wants you to get out of this one, though, if you, if you haven't got it yet in the story, okay? Jesus says, go into town. You're going to meet a guy with a water jug. And we're going to take his house, right? Don't worry about it. It's all going to work out. They'll be happy about it. He says it, and then it happens. And have you picked up that echo in the, in the text of Mark all the way through? I haven't been loud about this. I haven't been loud enough about this. How many times Jesus tells the future? He says, this is going to happen, and then it happens. And he says, this is going to happen, and then it happens. And then he says, I'm going to die and rise again. And then it didn't happen yet. And then he keep, tells the future again, and then it happens. He says, I'm going to die and rise again, and then it didn't happen yet. So the implication would be, right, since what he says comes true, then after he dies, do you even need to see him rise from the dead to know that it's true? Well, not if you've been listening to the story, you don't. And if you're saying, Pastor, what are you getting at? We'll come back Sunday morning. Mark 16 is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but for here, take from you tonight that what Jesus says always comes to pass. 
always. If he says some guy's going to meet you with a water jug, be on the corner. It's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying listen for those kinds of dreams late at night. I'm saying trust in the word that you've been given then. This is why we believe the New Testament is the inspired and inerrant word of God. This is why we believe the Old Testament is that, right? It's the word that cannot fail us. All right, so from there, they're reclining at the table in this upper room. Everything seems cheery. They've got the Passover meal going. This is like Easter and Christmas and everything rolled into one amazing moment of believing that God is for you and not against you. And as he's passing around the dish, he casually says, oh, by the way, one of you is a devil. Gonna betray me. And what I find more interesting than the kind of nonchalant approach to that uh, is the way that all the guys who aren't going to betray him feel like they might. And they say, is it I? Isn't that a strange thing? Or is it? Have you not ever been in that place where you felt guilty for something you didn't even do? Isn't that a strange phenomena? Some of it probably is real earned shame from the past you haven't dealt with. Some of it may be the stories you're listening to aren't true at all. What it shows here again is nobody gets what's going on except Jesus. Nobody has any clue at all. He knows he's going to be betrayed. The others are more concerned. They don't say, how do we stop it, Lord? Or, or will you tell us who it is so we can? It's, is it I? They're all concerned about themselves. Yeah. He assures them, yep. It's going to happen, one of these men. And then before that man goes out in darkness to do his deed, the institution of the Lord's Supper comes to pass. And we won't spend too much time on those words of institution tonight as we are going to celebrate them in their fullness in a few moments. Uh, just a, a small bit of catechesis. Again, I mentioned in the reading, you have the words of institution, the words about the Lord's Supper specifically written in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John never talks about the Lord's Supper specifically, although he does get pretty uh, symbolically illusionary uh, with phrases about eating flesh and drinking blood and stuff like that in John 6. But the Lord's Supper is not the event in that moment. But there is a fourth uh, talk about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul passes on the words of institution. And Paul's in 1 Corinthians 11 are closest to what we use in the liturgy at St. Paul which isn't just ours, it's the liturgy of the Western church, it's, it's Catholic, it's Reformed, it's Lutheran. You know, we, we all kind of are in the same direction when it comes to this, um, at least historically. Uh, but Paul's is the closest to what we have. All of them have little diversities. They're all a little different here and there. You notice that you know, uh, Mark doesn't say take and eat. He just says take. This is my body. I mean, the, the eating is implied, right? It's some bread and, and stuff. So there are small differences between them, but what is probably most important to take away in this brief catechesis is that every single one of them says, this is. Not a single one of them says, this symbolizes, this might be, this means, this hopes to be, this could be, I wonder, maybe not, I don't know. They all say, this is. And that should be a great certainty to we who believe that the flesh and blood of Jesus are indeed given to eat and drink in with under as the bread and wine. Now, uh, from there, uh, the text moves on uh, to say how they go out to the Mount of Olives singing a hymn. And, and that is where we leave it tonight. Uh, 
tomorrow night, if you're coming, there will be a sermon at the four o'clock service. Um, not all of the Mark reading will, will be at the four o'clock service. All of the Mark reading will be at the Tenebrae service. But at the, at the four o'clock, the sermon's going to be about, about this long, just a heads up. And then at the, at the seven o'clock, there's no sermon at all. And the reason for that is how I want to close it here. And we've, we've done a lot of walking through Mark. And on, on Sunday morning, Mark 16 is going to be a bang. Don't, don't let me lie to you about that one. But this time of year, from like right now until Easter Sunday morning, these next couple of days, I find them to be the hardest time in ministry to preach. And the reason is because I just want to get out of the way. I just want the story to be there. I don't want to have to give you a lecture about this, that, and the other thing. Uh, What I want is for the faith that's in you that I know is in you. You're here on a Thursday night because you're the faithful. What I want is for that faith to be fanned into a flame of certainty based upon the simple clarity of the story of your God, your king, the man who is now again descending in all his glory to feed you, to fellowship you, to participate with us in everlasting life. It's, it's still Lent for like a day and a half, but rejoice. Rejoice, my friends, in the name of Jesus. Amen.